Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of occupied America. You're welcome to another Signs of the Times podcast. Uh, this is our final podcast of 2005. And rather than uh, do the standard uh, look back at the year and uh, yearly roundup, uh, we've decided just to ignore all that and to do something completely different. This week we have a guest, uh, and since we're in France, we decided it was about time that we had a French guest. With us tonight is Pierre, who is from Marseille and is interested in the, the Cassipian material and the various other um, aspects of the Cassipia site. And we thought we would just uh, have him on the the show tonight to talk a little bit about uh, things that he knows about and uh, you're going to find out exactly what they are uh, throughout the course of the next half hour or so. So Pierre, you're very welcome to our uh, to our end of your podcast. Um, so We'd like to thank you for coming in and subjecting yourself to this. Yes. Um, so um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks all and thanks uh, to the Quantum Future Group uh, for your interest and for welcoming me tonight. Well, I'm some French. I'm 33 years old. I first studied engineering and then management. Currently, I'm working as a, in a manager management position. I have some hobbies like uh, sport, nature, and uh, all what we call now uh, esotericism. I'm born in Toulouse, and I'm currently living in Marseille, southern France. And how did you first find the Cassiopeia websites? I discovered the, the Cassiopeian website, say, four or five years ago. Uh, I've always had a strong interest in, uh, how can we call that, uh, hidden things or invisible things. So I went through uh, Buddhism, Taoism, Freemasonry, all those uh, schools where you can touch or reach the invisible and uh, along this quest through books, uh, chats and uh, internet research, uh, I finally found this uh, Cassiopeian website. So you were a mason? <laughs> Most ma- masons, when they are, they say they're not, and when they are not, they say they are. Uh, so, uh-huh. so, so, so we're never get a straight answer. <laughs> we'll never know. never know. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I've been and I stopped, and uh, that's not the place where I found the, que- the the answers to my questions. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, but it was an interesting experience. And uh, did you learn how to build anything? Like a house or a wall or something? Or, or, or Solomon <laughs> Temple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing like that. Uh, you didn't make it up to the 33rd degree? <laughs> yeah, that's no, where you, you learn how to build your own house, you know, for like $10 or something. <laughs> that's the deep secret. Because, I mean, they're masons, right? I mean, yeah. they gotta, there's got to be some aspect to, like, you know, putting mm-hmm. bricks and mortar together, right? Using old copies of dogma and morals as building materials? I've built a, a house with 33 levels in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a pretty big house. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, we understand that when Ark and Laura were in Marseille uh, uh, a few months back, which uh, the pictures from, from that trip actually can be seen on, as a link on the, on the Signs uh, website, uh, we understand that um, you offered to take Laura um, to see a historic site, um, which we know that she's talked a little bit about uh, to us anyway, but um, what exactly was that site and uh, can you give us some details about it? Or? In Marseille there is one big uh, dominant church called Notre-Dame-de-la-Garde, where every tourist goes. And there is another uh, less famous church called Saint-Victor Church. I think it's an interesting building because of um, different reasons. First of all, it's a very old church, maybe the oldest Christian church in uh, Western Europe. It was built in the 4th century, 
after mm. after death. Um, second, it's dedicated to Saint Victor, who is one of the saints who who slayed uh, dragons, uh, like Saint Michel, Saint Marcel, or Saint George. Um, uh, Saint Victor was built by Saint Cassien. Uh, Saint Cassien, who came from Bulgaria, where where the Bogomils developed in the ninth century after death. And um, in the foundations of Saint Victor, you have a black virgin, a black virgin with an infant. Uh, and I find quite in this uh, black virgin tradition quite interesting because it may be a kind of link from uh, uh, Egypt um, goddess Isis, Mara Magdalena, Magdalena and uh, black virgins. And last thing is that the Saint Cassien, uh, you find the same root as Cassiopeia, uh, is the one who built a Lumini historic building. And uh, Saint Bomb building, and Saint Bomb is believed to be the place where Maria Magdalena had her hermitage mm-hmm. after reaching France. And of course, Mary Magdalena, for those of you that have read. The infamous Da Vinci Code is the, the woman who is purported to be the consort or the spouse of Jesus. We don't believe that for a minute because we think it was somebody else, but we'll talk about that another time. But there are many stories of uh, Mary Magdalene coming to France after the death of Jesus. And for those of you who don't know... The alleged death of Jesus. The alleged, yes, the alleged death of Jesus, that uh, she lived around Marseille, and there's a cave, if I'm not... That's right. If I'm, yeah. There's a cave uh, in this mountain called Saint-Baume. It's funny because uh, Baume... Uh, means balm in English, and that uh, there's a mention of balm uh, used between Maria Magdalena and uh, Jesus Christ in, in the Bible. Yeah, the alabaster jar. Right? Okay. I share the same uh, diagnostic as you, uh, as far as Jesus Christ's uh, dynamics is concerned. And we were talking uh, earlier, I think you said that uh, Saint Cassien was, are the tarot cards of Marseille attributed to him as well? Oh, yeah, indeed. Um, Saint Cassien is believed to be the one who introduced tarot cards, um, the gin, I mean, what we call a genuine one, called Marseille tarot cards. And uh, uh, apparently Saint Cassien, along his way, has been living in uh, eastern countries and uh, maybe brought back some knowledge from those places, uh, materialized within uh, tarot symbols. Mm-hmm. You mentioned St. Cassien and the, the Bogomils. Um, one of the topics we wanted to get onto with you was the subject of the Cathars. And the Cathars, for those of you who don't know, were a Christian group uh, that flourished in the 11th and 12th centuries before the church set out to uh, kill them all off with, the, with a crusade in the south of France. They were linked, or, or their origins are tied to the Bogomils. Could you talk about that a bit? Oh, I don't have um, <coughs> concrete proofs about the links between Bogomils and, um, and Cathars, but what we can see is uh, all over centuries from the 4th century until um, Cathars, and even later, uh, you can perceive all around Mediterranean Sea a, a dualist uh, tradition, I mean, mm-hmm. a dualist um, way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, you could enlighten our listeners as to what 
the dualist tradition is? I hope I will enlighten listeners. More probably, I will give some uh, information about dualism. Uh, dualism is a paradigm, philosophy, religion, where um, there would be, say, two worlds, one material world, that is a world of uh, suffering, of impermanence, of um, uh, fights and uh, rules and dominations and struggles or wars, and another uh, that is the material world, that according to Carthage is ruled by uh, the bad god, say uh, Saturn, and uh, there is also another world that is the good world, that is an invisible world that is ruled by the good god. Um, but this tradition um, is long-lasting and widespread. You can find it in uh, Mitraism, in mm-hmm. Zoroastrism, um, Manes, Mani, uh, mm-hmm. widespread this vision of the world, uh, Bogomiles too, and uh, and later on Cathars. It's one of those themes that keeps re-emerging, and in the work that, that we've done, and especially Laura, you see that there is kind of subterranean teaching that, that keeps sprouting uh, from time to time throughout history, and the dualism seems to be one of the fundamental ideas in this subterranean teaching. In esoteric Christianity, it gets expressed in the ideas of the absolute one, two, and three, where the absolute three is this world that we're in now, and the absolute two would be the world of, of Christ, the world into which we could be born if that which has to be done before a certain time gets accomplished. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a lot of um, connections between Moravyev works and uh, Katha um, philosophy. You mentioned church, the Roman church, and uh, actually in 11th, 12th, and uh, 13th century, there were, in a sense, two churches coexisting. There was mm-hmm. the official Roma, Roman church. And we should the, say this is in the West, because in the East, the Orthodox church was in existence, and by the, uh, what, by the 11th century, there had been the split between the, the Roman church and the Orthodox church. Indeed. In southern France, you had two coexisting churches, the dominating uh, and uh, fierce church and a, a small and uh, forgiving one. Um, so and it had a great influence on the culture in the Languedoc at the time. Uh, yeah, Catharism was um, widespread all along French Mediterranean co- coast, reaching some uh, northern Italian uh, territory and uh, um, northeastern uh, Spanish territories, mm-hmm. uh, known as uh, Catalonia now, and uh, it became a highly widespread um, religion, mm-hmm. and therefore having major influence on uh, cultural dimension, way of life, relationship with others, with uh, notions of good and bad, and a way of seeing the, the life and the world. Languedoc, in, in that time, it was... A flowering of culture. You had the troubadours and, and all that, yeah. and all that is very closely related to the Cathars. There, there was a, a culture and an environment that was much different from that in Northern Europe or, you know, yeah. elsewhere. Actually, it shows that. I mean, probably the idea, as you have um, in your ear, as we say in French, is that uh, religious environment has a strong impact on a non-religious environment, like cultural, economic. The official Roman church and Cathar church were coexisting. I think that fundamentally the teaching of uh, Cathar 
religion were highly widespread and those uh, way of seeing the world had a strong impact on economic, cultural and social life. And that's mm -hmm. why in 11th and 12th century, Languedoc, southern France, was one of the most developed uh, regions in, uh, in the Western world. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Roman church uh, uh, that was spreading different dogmas, different vision of the world, led to a kind of uh, underdeveloping uh, world. And we certainly see that continuing today with C the effects certainly. of the Catholic Church. Certainly. I know that... Uh, in the Cathar Church and, and in the south of France in that time, the role of women was very different than it was elsewhere. Could you talk a bit about that? Behind um, purely religious dogmas, like uh, the true nature of Christ or the true nature of God, and, um, all those concise contents, um, Cathar religion was uh, carrying a, a specific vision of society. Uh, for example, there were... Um, there was not a strong hierarchy, mm -hmm. um, as you can see in uh, some other religious organization. And um, there was no differentiation between uh, men and women. Uh, why? Because of uh, this dualist vision of human beings. Human beings are made of uh, one first component, the coming from the bad world, that is the, the flesh, that is the body and the brain, and a second component that we could call uh, that's the remains of the fallen angel the, the soul and uh, women and men come from this uh, same world so they are fundamentally equal even if their material envelope is uh, slightly different mm -hmm. and the material envelope is impermanent and will leave and will what remains will be the permanent soul which is identical between the two Okay. And, and the Cathars, you know, they believed in uh, reincarnation. I mean, the idea that, you know, that obviously a, a strong belief in reincarnation would kind of preclude uh, any prejudice against one sex or the other if, 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 if you know that, you know, uh, you can be one or other in, in, in any future life or past life, you know. Yeah, it's true. At the same time, I can imagine some uh, uh, vicious religion uh, um, believing in reincarnation and thinking that if you're not good, you will become a woman, and uh, if you're not good at all, you course, will become yeah. an animal. There's, uh, there's uh, infinite uh, ways uh, to uh, twist it, you know. At the same time, it's um, well, seven centuries after the end of the official end of Catharism, and um, this religion has been uh, erased, uh, almost totally destroyed. So it's difficult to. Uh, to talk with uh, certainty about uh, yeah, because there are very few original documents of their rituals, if you could call them that, of their prayers or, or what their religion or philosophy was. Indeed, at, at the same time, uh, I think it would be a mistake to perceive Catharism as a monolithic religion. True. Uh, yeah. There was this, I think, this specific way of dealing with free will that led to um, highly diverse religious movement, respecting, uh, in a sense, the will and uh, way of seeing the world of each of, uh, of the community member. As far as uh, Cathar documents are concerned, one of the main reference was uh, the New Gospel, and more specifically the St. John Gospel, that is, in a sense, the source of all um, heresies, because, uh, because of this sentence, my kingdom is not from this world. 
that gives legitimacy to another world, to a non-manifested, a non-tangible, mm -hmm. non-material world that would be the real world. Mm -hmm. And um, Catharism is strongly based on the content uh, of um, New Gospel, but with slightly or sometimes fundamentally different interpretations. Mm. So we've stated that uh, that that you were attracted or interested in the uh, uh, Cassiopeian material, the Cassiopeian philosophy. What in the Cassiopeian philosophy did you see that, uh, if anything, that that um, is comparative to uh, or comparable to the philosophy of um, the Cathars, the kind of philosophy that you've just described? I mean, there's a lot of material in Cassiopeian philosophy. Um, one strong analogy I can perceive between Catharism and, uh, and Cassiopeian philosophy is the, this dualistic vision of the world. I mean, there are incarnated human beings living in a material world, impermanent world, uh, and there is something beyond that. Our quest, in a sense, is to discover what is behind uh, the mirror, what is behind uh, this material, tangible world. Uh, I, I think that Cathar were in this paradigm. And there are two paths. There's a path towards this other world, the invisible world, and there's a path towards the material. One is towards creativity and one is towards entropy. What you say is very true. But uh, I don't know to which extent Cathar... Uh, formalize that uh, but it's, uh, no I, it's I don't know true. I don't know either because from what I've read of the Cathars it wasn't as ex explicit and the trouble there is there are very few remaining Cathar texts and much of what we get about them and about their, their beliefs come from the documents of the Inquisition and as we know from recent events uh, confessions and information gotten under torture <laughs> are not necessarily the most reliable. <laughs> indeed. Um, indeed, we can suspect that um, there were some um, content relating to uh, importance of free will, uh, entropy versus creativity, um, importance of knowledge, because you can judge the, the tree through its fruits, and the fruits of this uh, Cathar culture, Cathar community, were brilliant. Were beautiful, mm -hmm. so you can uh, you can imagine you can assume that Cathar um, had been dealing with those concepts, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't have any proof, any written text, any tangible material mm -hmm. proving interactions between Cathar and those concepts. One of the differences that I've read about between the say the north of France and the south of France in that period was in the north of France the heritage of land and wealth always went to the eldest son, whereas in the South, they tended to divide land, property, and, and wealth among all of the children, which is a must, much more just way of, of doing things. And that created social conditions in the South that were very, very different from that in the North because you didn't get the ensconced positions of power that were reinforced generation after generation. You had divisions. So the society seemed to have been much more equitable. And also the difference between the the rulers, if you will, and the rest of the population would have been much different than that w that was found in the north of the country. Yeah, I think that redistributing ground is an excellent way to fight against entropia. 
Mm. You change um, power structures. You redistribute uh, opportunities to uh, mm-hmm. opportunities to cr- for creation. Yeah, um, indeed. Another difference is uh, language. Languedoc comes from Languedoc, Oc lang- language, mm-hmm. by opposition to Languedoc, that was the language uh, that was spoken in northern territories. I mean, French northern territories. Mm. The we and the oc. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oi and oc. Mm. Uh, uh, that means yes mm-hmm. in those two languages. And uh, we also can imagine that uh, Catharism represented a major threat. Because finally, um, Philippe le Bel, the king of the Franks at this time, France didn't really exist, but the, uh, Philippe le Bel organized a crusade, not in Jerusalem, but in uh, what is now France, in what is now southern France, and for over 40 years, soldiers from Languedoc, uh, speaking Languedoc, from Languedoc, uh, fighted in Languedoc and killed uh, something like 100,000 people mm-hmm. over 40 years, torturing, burning village, killing uh, men, women, and kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should say that there were also... Cathars in the north of France and in Germany as well, so it wasn't limited. This was a, a teaching and a belief that was fairly widespread, but there were smaller pockets, as yeah. I understand it, in the north. In Cologne, for mm-hmm. example, in Toscan, we talked about it, Italia, mm-hmm. uh, and of course after the, the relative destruction of Catharism in France, the Cathar survived widespread a bit everywhere. Including northern France. It seems to me, and I'm just kind of um, hypothesizing here because, as you say, there's very little known about uh, the Cathars in terms of what they actually um, did or or, or believed. or the, the, there's, As you say, there's no texts or very few texts uh, detailing their, their, their lives and their beliefs. But um, it seems to me, as Henry said, that uh, throughout the course of, of history um, or recorded history, uh, that there were groups that sprung up every so often uh, that uh, seem to have a and, and how, how they formed together is, is we can only guess at but that there were a group of people who had a common ideal and a common uh, uh, view or vision of, 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 of what life was about and, and the way to live life and um, there's another example just when you're talking about the kind of laws uh, that govern kind of or what we know of the laws that govern Catholic society there was um, maybe a thousand years before that uh, in parts of Europe uh, in Ireland for example there was a under the kind of pre-Christian Celtic kind of uh, societies there were laws you know kind of similar laws that were organized in a much more equitable way and was sure there was a chief or, or a, a guy who was kind of appointed or elected to be um, um, the leader, but uh, in terms of uh, how the community functioned, it was, it was not a matter of him basically controlling every, everyone else, but that, that they saw themselves as a unit and, uh, and had, uh, as I say, very different, um, had a very different view of, of how to live than, than, than people do today or, or, or have done for a long time. And the other notable thing is that these, um, these systems or these ways of life that, uh, that, that spring up are usually very quickly or quite quickly uh, destroyed by some other force. In in the case of the Cathars, it was the uh, the Catholic Church, obviously. Um, and it's interesting to me that you know the, uh, I mean the Catholic Church has has apologised for all of its kind of transgressions in the past, 
um, in terms of uh, you know the, the Crusades and the Inquisition and and the and the, and the massacring of, of of thousands of people, uh, including the Cathars. But uh, as I see it, there's very little in terms of ideology. Uh, there's very little has changed. Okay, the Catholic Church doesn't have armies anymore to go and, and, and massacre people. But in terms of ideology, uh, I mean, the Catholic Church is isn't very much different from the Catholic Church that uh, massacred the Cathars. I'm afraid you're right um, about um, analogies between uh, Celtic culture, Celtic religions and Cathar religions. We can see that in Cathar religion, um, keeping in mind the role of women, uh, this high diversity, this very low level of um, hierarchy in, um, in this religious organization that Cathar uh, is more likely to be part of the, the circle civilization than part of the triangle civilization. Um, in the beginning of our discussion, we were talking about Jesus Christ and, uh, and his death. Um, by the way, Cathar thought that uh, Jesus Christ didn't die on cross, maybe f- for different reasons. Um, since they were monophysite, they thought uh, Jesus Christ didn't have a double nature, mm-hmm. as the Roman Church uh, said in uh, Nice Concile for Cathar. Jesus Christ was definitely from the good world, so mm-hmm. from divine nature. So, consequently, he couldn't die on a cross or or somewhere else. And for them, the cross was not a symbol that they honored. Uh, I think almost to the contrary, they, they saw it as a symbol of all that was wrong with the Catholic Church, the Roman Church. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it can relate to the to this myth or non-myth of Templars speeding on cross. But if you take some distance, uh, cross is fundamentally a, a torture tool. Um, I could imagine some uh, very evil uh, modern cult having as a main symbol a Kalashnikov. Uh, I would allow myself to spit on a Kalashnikov. I don't think I would be a Satanist because I spit on a Kalashnikov. People at this time could have the same interpretation for the torture tool that is a cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the symbolism of of um, taking someone. If we, I mean, if we take the the idea that um, that Jesus didn't die on the cross or wasn't crucified, if we take that idea to be true, um, then it is pretty dastardly uh, for the later Catholic Church or the early Catholic Church uh, or the early Roman Church uh, to concoct this kind of story and to take uh, someone that they obviously knew was someone of, of, of great importance in terms of uh, the teachings that that he taught or, or the, the, the lessons that he taught to people um, or the information he had to share. Uh, they took that person and they essentially nailed him to a cross and then established that, that as the... Um, as, as a symbol of of the religion that people who initially maybe had followed uh, Jesus and, and, and had uh, and, and knew exactly what he was and, and what he was teaching, I mean it just seems it just seems like a a really evil thing to do, and certainly in terms of the symbolism, the dead man on the stick. Yeah, they wanted to uh, destroy the the teachings in a very blatant uh, symbolic way. They, they did it, you know, by nailing him to the cross. Cathar might uh, think that uh, it's normal to notice evil thing that uh, happens in the world would by evil, the bad god. It's uh, perfectly consistent. Cathar had a paternoster. 
like a Christian, I mean like a regular... That's the Our Father. Mm-hmm. Our Father, Pater Noster in Latin. Uh, that is almost exactly the same as the Roman uh, Church, Pater Noster, except one sentence uh, about this um, daily bread, where it said, um, mm-hmm. Panem Nostrum Super Substantialem Danobihodi, that means give us our super substantial bread. And that's a major difference with the um, the classical uh, paternoster. Obviously, um, Jesus Christ's teaching, symbolized by bread, uh, has an influence on, um, say, spiritual dimension of human beings. Yeah, well, it's, it's something that the people who invented the, the, the Catholic religion um, did in general with the kind of with the teachings of um, of Jesus, in that they took everything that was taught in a, in a, in a spiritual way, uh, they took spiritual concepts and made them completely physical. You know, I mean, they, they the very idea of putting Jesus on a cross um, corrupted the idea of uh, his teachings of suffering, uh, suffering for an ideal, and they made it all completely physical and say that you know he suffered and died, and not only that, but but kind of we killed him, you know, uh, all the people killed him. Uh, people killed their own kind of savior, and obviously they, they created the whole saviorship as well. But in the same way, um, uh, in this in this uh, Cathar version of the and this crucifixion thing was a kind of major move backwards, because uh, I think Jesus Christ was opening the era of um, that was transcending this uh, notion of sacrifice, and uh, in a sense, crucifixion was kind of mixing up again this suffering and sacrifice and uh, salvation. Uh, however, as we say uh, often, it's not Jesus Christ who made Christianism, it's Christianism who made Jesus Christ and who wrote the official story. Mm-hmm. And this time again, winners wrote the story and wrote the history, the story of Jesus Christ. Let's be clear that when we're talking about suffering, in what we understand as being the real teachings of Jesus. It's the suffering of becoming the master of oneself. There's a suffering of being in this material world and trying to attain a contact with the real self that is there but that is hidden by all these layers of false selves that we have, our ideas about ourselves, uh, the false personality that we have. And the real suffering is the work that you do to try to align each of these these little selves with your real self so that you can reach it in some sort of permanent way. Your worlds are kind of uh, syncretizing uh, Buddhism, Catharism, and uh, uh, Mogarfev teaching, for example. Yes, probably the quest for human beings is this uh, uh, quest for transcending egos and uh, the different... Uh, personalities, different aspects of egos in order to reach and discover the real self what we call awakening Well that about wraps it up for this week's podcast we want to thank Pierre for joining us today and as always if you would like to find more information on the topics we discussed today you can read the articles at www.signs-of-the-times.org and have a happy new year, and we'll see you next year.